record everything you say, Julia. What do you say? All right. I think this is everybody. All right, before we get started, let's pray, okay? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this place where we can come committed, devoted to learning about you, growing together in pursuit of you. God, thanks for the book of 1 Kings, which opens up how you used a really wise man who depended on you for his wisdom and asked of that one thing above all else. But God, as we continue this journey tonight, I pray you'd help us as we look at this text to be able to see some warnings, just some signs that start to show up. I pray that it would be real clear to us how we can learn from this and grow more closely to you and encourage each other while we do this. So be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how are you guys doing tonight? Everybody's sweaty. Yeah. 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 Our group meets out in that like little hallway where there's no air conditioning. Do not go in that little hallway. Just, just trust me, it doesn't smell great. Um, so, but yeah, so anyway, it's really hot, so I hope you're getting used to summer, because that's what happens around here, no spring, just right to summer. But we're going to spend our time tonight in 1 Kings chapter 10, okay, 1 Kings chapter 10, so if you, you've been around, you know, you can count, like after 9 is chapter 10, so that's where we're going to be, okay? And the title of my message tonight is... Why, or excuse me, whispered warnings from the wisest. Whispered warnings from the wisest. And let me explain that a little bit to you. I think in this text we're going to see some warnings from the life of Solomon. And I call them whispers because they're not super evident. They don't really pop out at you. It doesn't say, then Solomon did this bad thing. And then Solomon did this bad thing. No, it didn't. Well, spoiler alert, that's coming, okay? But in this text, it doesn't say that. But I think there are some clear signs of where things start to change in Solomon's heart. And so that's why I call them whispers. Now, one more quick clarifying comment before we start. It seems really silly for me to stand up here and point flaws to one of the wisest men who ever lived, okay? So just, just understand that right away, that if you think, well, what does he have to say about this? This guy was the wisest guy that ever lived. I realize that. And I have to, to fight that tension of like, what am I doing? But I want to be truthful to what God says, okay? And I'm not throwing stones because God used Solomon in a, in a mighty way, but we're going to learn that still things happened to Solomon that didn't need to happen. And, and we also are going to learn that Jesus is the real wisest person that ever lived. He is our wisdom. So as we go through the text, I hope you'll understand that that's my approach tonight. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 10. I'm going to try and read the whole thing, okay? So here we go. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Sounds like my wife sometimes with me. <laughs> Testing me with hard questions. Oh no. No. 
She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Wow, pretty, pretty crazy. And Solomon answered how many of her questions? Oh. All of her questions. And there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attendants of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, the burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no breath left in her, knocked her breath out. She was so amazed. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. I love this statement here. And, and JT read of it earlier. Because... The Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. In case you're keeping track at home, that's four tons of gold. Just to give you an idea, like your car probably doesn't even weigh a ton. Okay, so that's how much gold we're talking about. And a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. <laughs> this, this is a funny statement. Never again came such an abundance of spices as is the, king, the, the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. I like how it mentions there was four tons of gold, but then the emphasis on what? Spices. Well, there were a lot of spices. <laughs> so there must have been a lot of spices if it, if it catches the author's attention over four tons of gold. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almond wood. Nobody knows what that is, but it sounds expensive. And precious <laughs> stones. And the king made of the almond wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almond wood has been, has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all that she desired. Whatever she asked, beside what was given her by the bounty of the King of Solomon, she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Now I'll try to go really quickly through the rest of this. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. So if you do the math, carry your one. That's like five times as much gold as what she gave. So every year, Solomon gets over 20 tons of gold. If you can understand that. Has anybody ever like held a piece of gold or something made of gold? Like the thing we, only, we have is jewelry, right? It's like coated in gold. And it's super, usually pretty light because, well, that's all we can afford. Right? So just imagine that weight of gold. And that's every year. Every year. Besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 
600, 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. And each king, uh, the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. And the throne had six steps, and the throne had a round top, and each of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests. And while twelve lions stood there, one of each step of the six steps, the like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold, none of silver. This is a great statement. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. I remember Colin reading that earlier in the text that he preached. For the king had a fleet of ships, of Tarshish, at sea, a fleet of Hiram. Once every few years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come breaking gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. You know you're rich when you have apes and peacocks. <laughs> Thus, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth's earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his presence, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. So you just see it accumulating as we read. Oh man, that sounds like a lot. And then they pile more on top of it. Oh, that sounds like a lot. And then they pile more on top of it. And then it says in verse 26, and Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen with whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king of Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone and made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore or whatever that place is called. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Cuba. And the king's traders received from Puita at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Okay, so thanks for hanging with me on that. That was long. But I want to look at four warnings that I think we can find in the text that I think we can learn from as middle school students. And, and so by God's grace and the Holy Spirit, let's try to focus here for this, these next few minutes and see what we can learn and see what we get questions about so we can go back into our small groups and, and talk about it some more. So here's the first one. Warning number one. Never be silent in giving glory to God. Never be silent in giving glory to God. And this one maybe is a stretch, I'll admit it, but... Notice the response of the queen of Sheba. Would you call that a silent response to God in verses 8 and 9? Anybody? No. Does she sound excited? Yes, she does. And she goes on and on and on about how great God is. Guess what? Does the king of Sheba know about the God of the Israelites? She didn't until now. She had heard reports from far, far away. And kind of like wise men, in the future, came from a long distance to do what? Well, she wanted her questions answered. 
But God did that through Solomon, and it caused her to really fall on her face and worship the true God. And you could do some study on this and see that it, it, it begins to fill prophecy from, from all the way back in Abraham when it says, when God told him all the nations of the world would be blessed through you. Well, guess what? The queen of Sheba is part of all the nations of the world. And she is blessed through Solomon. And so you start to see some prophecy being fulfilled in Solomon. And she worships God. She gives this great benediction. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. And then she talks about God's great love for Israel because of what he's done through Solomon. What an awesome statement to give glory to a God that she just learned about. And here's my question. I can't find anywhere near the same text here where Solomon kind of agrees with her. Or Solomon makes any statements in direct relation to, yes, my God is glorious. Yes, he's given me so much. If you go back just a chapter or two, chapter 8, he has this great benediction of who God is to Israel. And I don't know, I just guess I would expect something that would say something similar in connection with how glorious God has been to him and giving him the praise that was due his name, yet there's nothing here. And I wonder for us sometimes if, if that's true. You know, maybe God's given you a talent. Maybe you're a good singer. Maybe you're a good dancer. Maybe you're good at art. Maybe you're good at sports. Maybe you're really good at school. Sorry. <laughs> Whatever it is, and maybe somebody notices, and they tell you, man, you're really good at that. You know, we have a chance there to do something. Did you know that? You have a chance in that moment to point to your great God, to be able to say, yeah, thanks, I really enjoyed it. God's given me a love for that. God's given me the ability to do that. He's really awesome. Just something simple that says, it's not about what I can do. It's about how God has blessed me and how God has used me. And I would just challenge you guys, do you think like that? Because I think our natural reaction sometimes is to be what? I don't know, I'm pretty good. Oh yeah, I know how to paint. I can play that piano like crazy. Right? I'm the best apple pie maker there is. I don't, I don't know. I always struggle to find things that everybody likes because I'm just a sports dummy. So, yeah, because we can point to God. We can say it's because of him and give glory to him. You see, the, king of, the queen of Sheba offered her best to God. How do you offer your best to God? She brought a lot of riches and is our response the same? Are we offering that to our great God? So never be silent in giving glory to God. Here's number two. Never pursue wealth as if it could satisfy. Never pursue wealth as if it could satisfy. Can we all agree that Solomon was wealthy? The text goes 
on and on and on to make sure we understand how wealthy Solomon was. It's like he was sitting around. I kind of get this picture. It's like he was sitting around in his throne and he thought, what else can we make of gold? And then someone took a drink. The cups. Everybody, get the gold. We're making cups, right? And then some guy picked up the lyre to play it. He's like, where's that almond wood? It's super valuable. Let's make a lyre out of it. That sounds like lyre, sorry. Not the lyre. Anyway. Okay. Um, yeah, it just seems like there's just anything that you could imagine it was made of gold or expensive wood. And, and, and that was all a blessing from God. So I'm not trying to say that this was wrong, okay? Because it wasn't. It was a blessing from God. But I wonder at some point if Solomon started to look at his wealth more than his wisdom. In verse 23... It says, thus King Solomon excelled, excelled all the kings of the earth. And I don't know if this order is on purpose or if I'm just reading into it, and I could be. Notice what it says first. He excelled in riches and wisdom. I don't know if, if the riches started to get his heart. And I know we battle with that, don't we? Do you guys have problems with stuff? And so many times we get so much stuff thinking that it's the next thing that will help me feel satisfied. And so we buy something and then we realize it isn't. Somebody give me an example of something that, that was really cool, but now you realize, eh, not that good anymore. Clothes. Clothes. What happens to clothes? They go out of style. They go out of style. <laughs> or they keep shrinking in the dryer in my case. Not really the true story, but that's what I blame it on. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the Xbox, right? This is a perfect example of this right now, right? Like, we keep getting these new systems and these new systems and these new systems. And, and every time you feel like, okay, I finally caught up. I've spent a million dollars and I have the right thing. And then you, you like maybe go look on some kind of video game website. And guess what it says at the top of the page? New Xbox coming in. What? Yeah, like it's going to be another one. And no matter what, we're never satisfied. And if you looked at the video games I played when you were a kid, you would laugh your head off because of, of what they looked like. And I, I thought that was going to be everything for me. And it looks so silly now going back and looking at it. But that's what stuff does. We always run to it. But it never satisfies. It always has us wanting more. So never pursue wealth as if it could satisfy. Deuteronomy 17.17 17 is a very interesting text in relation to Solomon. And I don't know that I've ever really read it that much or noticed it until studying for this. And you don't have to turn there, but God laid out some rules for his king. This was around the time when Israel started, you know, wanting a king. And you know some of the stories of Saul and then David and, and how they wanted a king like other nations around them. And, and God gave them some laws concerning Israel's kings. I have to kind of read them out of order just because of what we're talking about here. But in the second half of verse 17, it says, 
The king shall not acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Whoops. And I wonder, Solomon had, Solomon had access to this. It doesn't say you can't have silver and gold, but what does it say? It says excessive. Why would God say don't get excessive about your silver and gold? Why would he say that? Somebody help me out. Because he doesn't like us to be happy? He wants us to be poor all the time? Is that why? Exactly right, exactly right. What's your name? Very good, bro. Yeah. God knows that the more we get, the bigger the appetite we need to feel satisfied. We think, oh, if I just had that one more thing, then we get that one more thing. Oh, if I just had that one more thing. And it becomes excessive to the point where we cannot be satisfied with it at all. And we, we make materialism, materials, our God. Matthew 6 is a really interesting passage, too, when looking at this text. Matthew 6, 25 through 30-something, Jesus refers to guess who? Anybody know? Just take a wild guess at who Jesus refers to in Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Solomon! You guys are so smart. <laughs> the people following Jesus bring up an interesting point, they say, we're scared about whether we'll have enough food. We're scared if our needs will be met. And Jesus says, look to the lilies of the field, flowers. He says, the lilies of the field look nicer or are better clothed than who? Solomon. Wait, what? You mean the guy with all the gold that he could have anything he wanted made out of gold? Yes. Jesus says that the flowers of the field were better clothed than even Solomon. Why? Because God clothed them. And God took care of them. And then he says this, this verse, which I think a lot of us know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, they'll be added to. And I wonder, in, in accumulating so much wealth, do, did, did Solomon lose the sight of seeking God's kingdom? You look at some of the things he built, he, he put a lot of attention into what early on? Colin preached a lot of messages, JT preached a lot of messages on what? It starts with a T and ends with temple. temple. The temple, okay? Yes, the temple. He put a lot of riches and money into the temple because that was God's dwelling place, and so it needed to be awesome. I, I can't help but notice in this passage, guess what he's building more stuff for? Himself. There's one mention of some of the wood to put in the temple, and then the rest of the mention of all the building stuff is to Solomon's throne, the things by Solomon's throne, the stairs on Solomon's throne, the cups in Solomon's kingdom, the chariots, the horses, all of it seems to be for his kingdom and not God's. I just think wealth does that to us. And not that you can't be wealthy and follow God, but Jesus does say it's difficult. 
And so we need to be careful because guess what? Compared to the rest of the world, guess what all of us are in this room? We're all wealthy. And so we've got to be careful that wealth doesn't take the place of what God should in our heart. Pursue Him first. So never be silent in giving glory to God. Never pursue wealth <laughs> as if it could satisfy. Here's the third thing. Never put all your trust in anything except God. Never put all your trust in anything except God. Look at verse just 26. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And then he had to create something which what is called a chariot city, just to be able to hold all of his chariots. It's kind of funny. So what's the deal here? Why? What's, it's just a verse about horses and chariots. Anybody know Psalm 27? Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. It says this. Uh, maybe I have to find it because I didn't write it down. I know what it kind of says, but I should not butcher it. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You see what the psalmist is saying? As they're fighting battles with all of their enemies around them, who are their enemies trusting in? Their chariots, their horses, their war machines, their generals, their weapons. And they thought if they got enough of that, that would give them the victory and then they could win. And they put their trust in their stuff. But what happened to all the enemies of Israel when David was around? Remember what happened to Goliath? They lost. Okay, right? They lost. <laughs> Maybe we could do that next, JT. Kind of blank. Um, yeah, they lost. And was it because Israel had all the chariots and all the horses? No, they didn't have half of what everybody else had. Who did they have? They had God who had David, who had used David in a mighty way, right? Remember, David was a little guy when he took down Goliath. It wasn't anything special that he had, but it was his God that he was putting his trust in. And so Solomon seems, with all of these chariots and horses, to be putting trust in them. If I could just get my army bigger, if I could just get a few more really cool chariots that were really fast, then we could win a war if it ever comes. And it seems to be putting the emphasis on, on the, the army instead of on what God wants him to trust in, which is him. Back to Deuteronomy 17 a second. Guess what? There's another rule about. Verse 16 says, only, speaking of the king of Israel, only he must not acquire many horses for himself. Isn't it kind of crazy that the wisest king ever kind of flunks this entire list? Spoiler alert, there's another thing on this list that JT's going to talk about next week. And I don't know if J.T. will talk about this passage, but the rule is in here to his ultimate downfall. And it's crazy to me that someone so wise could still be 
pulled off track because of sin, because of, of not honoring God with what he called him to do. You see, sometimes the physical seems easier to trust in than what we can't see. And I wonder if that was true of Solomon. You know, he got to experience the presence of the Lord from the standpoint of that cloud, and he saw some amazing things. But then, as maybe that stuff starts to fade in his memory, he starts to be able to see the things that are in front of him. His huge army. His huge, awesome chariots. And it's maybe easier for him to trust in what he can see versus what he can't. And I know I'm guilty of that. It's easier for me to run to something and think that somehow if I just think, well, I'll trust in my job because it pays me and then I can eat and have the things I want. When I trust in even friends, which are good things, but they can't save me. They can't fulfill me and satisfy me like God can. So are we trusting in the physical or can, are, we, are we working and, and trusting in God to help us trust in Him? There's lots of verses in Psalms about trusting God. I put some on the small group sheet for later. I would encourage you to read those. Trust in God. So lastly, let's talk about this one. Number four. Never return to slavery after being set free. Never return to slavery after being set free. Notice verse 26 and 27. There's nothing like, like really interesting on the surface of these verses. It's about trading. But do you see the... the place that Solomon is trading with? Anybody? Anything stick out to you in one of those places? Somebody that kind of knows the Old Testament? Starts with an E. Egypt. What? Egypt. Egypt. What's the big deal about Egypt in Israel's history? Anybody? Okay, Brooke. Joseph? Joseph, yeah. yeah. I call him what's-his-face, too, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, you're, if you go to Redeemer Church, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and there's a lot of Egypt stuff happening. And that's because God's working through Joseph. But after that all happens, a new pharaoh comes into town and enslaves the people of Israel. And they're in bondage for 400 years. And they need, would you want to be a slave and, and grow up as a slave? And then your children grow up as slaves in bondage and made to work? That was that. And until God used people like Moses to rescue them and get them out and begin their journey towards the promised land, which what we have now is Solomon, there was a lot of hardship. Guess what rules also in Deuteronomy 17? Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back. It was a place of slavery, of bondage, of hurt, of pain. 
of, of the enemy winning. It seemed like day after day. And then God showed up and redeemed the whole story. Don't go back. God has set them free from that. And he wanted them to stay away. But I think we do the same thing. You know, God sets us free. When we trust in him, he sets us free from sin. All kinds of verses. John 8 talks about Jesus setting us free. We are free indeed. Romans 6 talks about how we are dead to sin. But so often we, we decide, no, I'm going to go back to what I've been set free from and, and, and be a slave to it again. But I think we can learn from Solomon and see but once you've been set free, don't go back. Trust in the freedom you've been given in Christ to no longer be enslaved. So four warnings that we see from Solomon are never be silent giving glory to God. Never pursue wealth as if it could satisfy. Never put all your trust in anything except God. And never return to slavery after being set free. You know, we've been pointing almost every week, and I think maybe every week, back to Jesus. Because Jesus is everything, even in Solomon's greatness, Jesus is everything that Solomon isn't. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Where Solomon fell silent, Jesus glorified God by accompanying his, or accomplishing his work on earth, living the perfect life we could not. Dying the death we deserve, raising to new life and conquering death. Solomon fell short, I think, in giving glory to God at times. Jesus never did. Where Solomon pursued riches, leaving him unsatisfied, Jesus empties himself, became a servant, so that all that come to him will never thirst but be satisfied in him. Where Solomon lacked trusting fully in God, Jesus is the one to whom we can trust to become our righteousness so that we can be friends and heirs with God. And where Solomon broke God's law and returned to a place of bondage, Jesus sets us free from the chains of sin. I hope you will see that Jesus is the answer. And Solomon's life points to that in the good and in the bad. And we must run to Jesus. Because the answer isn't, I'll trust more. I'll work harder. I'll fight harder against sin. It's, it's not about doing. It's about seeing our great need and running to Jesus. Because he's the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one who's fulfilled the law completely. He's the only one who could stand before a righteous God and say, I've accomplished everything you've asked me to. Now they get to wear my righteousness for those who trust in him. What an awesome truth. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. And, and thank you for using people like Solomon in our lives.